you. I'm glad to be here, Bobby. sort of new at telling this story publicly. Obviously, it's important to have people around you that support you where you're going through something. But I'm Elaine, and I was married for 18 years to a man who had a gambling addiction. And it was interesting for me because looking back, I just see so many things I did not see when I was in it. I think the first thing is I was very naive. You know, I didn't grow up around people with addictions. There were I would say alcoholics in the family, but they were distant relatives and I was rarely around them. Um, But gambling, no. And, um, you know, growing up, we didn't have much disposable income. So we just, it never occurred to me. So when I was dating my ex-husband, we would go to casinos. We would go to these wonderful places and we would have the red carpet rolled out for us. And I thought, wow, this is special. There were things that happened that I didn't think too much about. And and here's an example of that. So we were at a casino and we had dinner planned at seven o'clock and we went with his brother and his wife. And so at seven o'clock, the three of us are sitting at dinner and he's nowhere to be found. And so we're trying to reach him, call him. And he called about three different times. I'll be right there. Well, he never showed up at all. That was sort of a first sign because he, he was in the casino the whole time. And there was sort of a high around these experiences that it was like, I've got to beat him. I got to beat him. But I, I had no clue. So I just thought, well, he got distracted. So I overlooked a lot of things from the very beginning and a lot of signs that were very telling that just went right over my head. So that was sort of the beginning. And, um, There was other gambling in this family also. I loved his family, still do, and still a part of it. It was all uh, a journey. That was the beginning of the journey, I would say. It's interesting. You just had me totally flash back to when Wendy was talking. She said the same exact thing. There was not addiction in her family. And I wouldn't have made that correlation between maybe not seeing the warning signs if you haven't been exposed to the manipulation and the lying and the changes of behavior, like all of those things, like to me, they're very obvious because I study and live in this world now, but I never thought about that. So I'm glad that you're bringing up that point for the folks out there as women, we have our little guts telling us things. And the fact that you can recollect them now implies to me that you were like paying attention. It's just the dots weren't connected. Is that a fair statement? Yes. I would say that's very fair. And a lot of times they, things would be around special occasions, like New Year's Eve was always in Atlantic City and, and just lots of fanfare and um, gifts in the room. And the other thing that didn't connect to me either is that 
you don't get that kind of treatment at these casinos unless you're gambling with a lot of money. And that was another thing that I didn't really understand either. And my uh, Joe, I'll call him Joe, he he had friends in the business, friends he had gone to college with. So, and they were in management positions in some of the these casinos and some of them are chained. So they had, you know, connections at the chain, different casino chains. And so part of me just thought, oh, they're doing this because they're college fraternity brothers. And so I thought that was really kind of cool. But again, it was another kind of sign that I didn't pick up on. Like, you know, you don't get picked up in the airport with a fancy limousine that's stocked with all kinds of things, food and liquor and go into a special room when you get to a casino where they check you in with bountiful food. And so there are a lot of things like that, that just, I was naive. I didn't, uh, didn't quite understand the depth of it all. Well, I think with him having friends in the business, I think that could happen to anyone. I mean, that would be a fair assumption. I gambled for years and years and didn't know about a lot of those programs because I never paid attention. And then when those programs happen, I mean, it's, they're literally feeding the addiction, you know, with all of that food and um, they call it big shot ism is what they call Mm -hmm. it in 12 step program. Because you want to be the one who, oh, I got points, I'll treat for dinner, or I have this and I have that. And, and, and you said the holidays, which is also very interesting. I used to use the holidays as the excuse because I could get my husband to go with me and, and just tie it in. Oh, we're all done with the presents on Christmas day. Let's, let's just go, you know, we're off of work tomorrow, that kind of thing. And it becomes integrated. Well, it became integrated in my marriage culture. And it sounds like that's what happened in your experience. Yes, it did. And at the time I, um, Joe was working, he was doing national sales and he traveled a good bit to the West coast and to New York. They had a showroom there. And so it made it real convenient to stop on the way home at either Las Vegas or Atlantic city. And so that was pretty much a given that he would do. And so there was that piece of it. And then there was almost every vacation we ever went on was somewhere where there was a casino and it was very difficult for him to tolerate something where he couldn't be gambling. And so there were the casinos, but also there was the golf course. And then there was the card room where, uh, and there were lots of card rooms. Some were shadier than others, but there was always a way to be betting on something. And once I really understood better what was going on, there was not a day that passed where he wasn't gambling in some form or fashion. Scary. So what did it look like for you? You're, you're going, I have multiple questions about what you just said. So when you would go to the casino, were you gambling? Um, Rarely. So how it looked was he, he loved craps and blackjack those were his two things he did other things as well but he would want me at the craps table beside of him and to throw the dice I really didn't want to be there 
But at first it was kind of fun until I really got to, you know, understand better what was going on. And I had to have the right attitude because if I didn't have the right attitude, he would get upset because I would have put the mojo on him and, you know, he would roll a seven or something. So it got to the point where I'm like, no, I'm not going to the craps table with you. It ended up that it was more like I would do my thing and he was in the casino most of the day. And then how that looked in everyday life was, you know, he would be in the card room at night. He'd be on the golf course on the weekends. We really didn't have a lot of family time together. So he was gambling at golf too. He was probably doing skins or something. Yes. Uh There was always, always something. Yeah. I just relate so much to the stuff you're saying. Like, I, I feel like I have a big neon sign saying guilty over my head as I hear you talk, being the driver of like me being the Joe. So it's, it's a little painful to hear you talk about it, quite honestly, knowing that I did those things. You talked about him traveling. And sales jobs are the easiest to hide our gambling because we can just go and you're, you know, because of the travel and stuff, it's just kind of implied. So did you know he was stopping at Atlantic City and Vegas on the way back? At first I didn't, but then I realized that he was. And, you know, he would say he was going to do that. And if he won, he'd usually come back with gifts for you know, the women in the family, it might be an expensive handbag or, you know, a piece of jewelry or scarf or something. But he never talked about when he wasn't winning. You know, it was kind of quiet. I didn't know to the extent of the losses. Like when we would go and file our taxes, he would come in with a stack of um, slips, you know, from the casinos that showed his losses. And, but even then it's kind of like the um, CPA. It wasn't like, holy cow, you know, it's like nobody was saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is really happening here? Again, I thought, well, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't such a big deal. Again, just kind of in, you know, denial of the extent of it because he'd never really talked about the losses. You just came up with a brilliant idea that I'm writing down. So when we go to the doctors, we get this, like a check-in, right? To make sure we're not depressed or suicidal. They ask some questions, you know, how much do you drink a week, right? As general doctors, I think do that. Right. And I've always wondered why we don't have gambling questions on the questionnaires. And, and part of my mission is to get so wealthy and powerful that I can impact things like that on a bigger scale, because that's going to be the only way I'm never going to be president or do the political stuff. But I've never thought about awareness through the CPAs and the accountants. That's really brilliant. Well, you know, you just gave me an idea too. Why isn't that a question that a medical professional would ask if they ask about alcoholism? Why wouldn't they ask about it? Because it is tied to, you know, it can create depression. It can create mental anguish. It's interesting you said it because the awakening for me actually happened in a doctor's office. I had been... uh, tested for allergies, and I was allergic to dust, 
Well, dust is everywhere. So um, for about 20 years, I had allergy shots and they started out at about twice a week and then went to once a week and then a few times a month and then once a month. So I was in that office, the dermatologist uh, um, office all the time. I guess it wasn't a dermatologist, whatever the doctor is. <laughs> um, and so you would go in, you'd sit down, and then they would just call you back and you'd get your shot and leave. So it was a very quick process. And there was a woman that gave the shots, and I seemed to get her a lot. And so we kind of got to know each other. And and real quickly, you couldn't get in a long conversation because there'd be so many people waiting. But one day she said something like, what are you doing this weekend? And I said something. And then I said, how about you? And she said, well, I'm going to a, a Gammonon meeting. And I said, oh, really? What's that? It's kind of like ding, ding. And she said, well, my husband has an addiction. He's been in uh, gambling, Gamblers Anonymous. And so she said, I go to Gammonon. And I'm like, well, what? Tell me about that. And so she took a few minutes. And then, then we begin to start that conversation when I had her. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, I, I really I need to get involved with this. And so that's really how I guess the buzzers went off for me. And I ended up reading a book on codependence and saw myself. Wow. So everything really started to change for me after that. And it was a number of year process for me to really uh, grab it, understand it, and also see my role in it. Wow. So much cool stuff you just said. So this lady had the courage to put herself out there, right? And I love that because that's that's what I think most mental health advocates are going for, people in addiction raising awareness. There shouldn't be a stigma. We're we're all kind of the same, you know, where we all have similar problems. And I was thinking like, hmm, was there a higher power that gave you that dust allergy to put you in that place to have that conversation? That kind of just happened in my head as you were sharing. So you started with Gammonon after discovering mm-hmm. what it was? Mm-hmm. I did. Awesome. Yes. And I felt like I had found a home. It's like people were talking about all these things that were sort of like signs that I didn't really understand. And it gave me a great deal of understanding. And it also helped me understand a lot about myself. And um, so I begin on with my own journey and, uh, you know, a therapist helped me with that. And I began to become stronger. And an example of how I was is so when there would be things that my family would want to do or and he wasn't there or. I wouldn't, I would say, oh, well, he, he was visiting with some friends or, you know, I, I made up this stuff. I mean, it wasn't exactly a lie, but his friends were in the card room, you know, or they were uh, on the golf course or something like that. But I found myself, you know, in denial. I wasn't really telling the truth. I saw that. And then I 
went through a process of, well, why am I doing that? And so part of what I learned about myself is a lot of people that are codependent also have uh, self-worth or self-esteem issues. Then I, that put me on a whole journey around that. And that was a lot of the, you know, gammonon and how we are in the relationship with someone that's an addict and to do our part to stop enabling them. Was he going to GA or were you doing this? You were, you were married at the time and you're going to Gammonon, but is he, has this conversation come up? Like you've had this uh, aha moment. How do you approach him? What does that look like? Yeah. So I told him what I had learned and that I was going to start going to Gammonon and that I would like him to go to Gamblers Anonymous. And I said, would you go and would you learn about this? And I didn't know if I could go with him to Gamblers Anonymous. Actually, I still don't know the answer to that question, but I knew that he needed help. He would not. He was never interested. He never thought he had an issue. He always thought he could stop. I kept going because I wanted to heal. And I did meet with his father and some other family members, and they were in denial, just like I have been in denial. And I wanted my father-in-law to go to Gammonon and invited him to go, and and he he wouldn't go. So nobody in the his family would go. And so there was just big denial all, all the way around. And I felt kind of alone that that I didn't have that support from anyone there because it was like, oh, well, he'll stop or he can't stop. I have to tell you, I am so proud of you. Like I'm proud of you from the beginning part of taking action and taking care of yourself. But now when you talk about battling it alone, like I'm, I'm just more flabbergasted, like good for you. Like I I really am just proud of you. And I can answer your question, by the way. Oh, good. There's open meetings and closed meetings. Okay. So in an open meeting, it can be Gammonon or GA members. In a closed meeting, it would be just one or the other. And then depending on where, and COVID's kind of changed a lot with Zoom meetings and stuff, I was lucky enough to participate. We do a once a month meeting in Kansas City where Gammonon and GA came in the room together. And that was pretty interesting, right? Because it was a safe place for the exchange to happen if both spouses were in the program. So big learning, right? Could you imagine if you were able to ask another gambler, not your husband, X, Y, and Z in front of your husband? Like, it was some powerful things happened in that room. Wow. I can't imagine. It sounds like it was very uh, uh, cathartic. It was. Maybe as well. Well, you know, it's really impressive. That was one of the, the rooms that consistently just operated with dignity and class. We never had any drama or, you know, like we were really able to communicate well. We were one big family in, in that area. It was, it was pretty amazing. So it's good when you can have that open mind and, and all of that and, and those resources, because it keeps everybody going. Like once you're friends, 
you want to go to your Gaminon meeting, right? Like you want to see Sally and you want the update. Right. And you want to hear other people's stories. Yes. So you, can you take us to the next, the next part of the story? So you're going to Gaminon, you're healing, you are being a warrior all by yourself in this. How are you handling him? How are you handling finances? Like what are the next steps before whatever the final result was? Sure. So when I married, I I have a business and I already had that business when I was married. And, uh, and so we kept our finances separate and there were, we did have a shared house account. So I was very aware of that, but I never had access to his accounts and the same thing he didn't for me either. And so there were certain things that he paid for, certain things I paid for. And then we had the household account and, and it, and it just seemed to work. He always had a wad of cash in his pocket, always hundred dollar bills. And uh, his wallet was a rubber band and he would have very thick. I guess that made him feel, I don't know, to carry around a good, a lot of money. So that was that. Then with his dad, sometimes his dad would call me and we would go and have lunch and he would start asking me questions like, uh, do you know how much uh, Joe has borrowed from the bank? Or are you aware that he's borrowed from the bank? And just questions like that, which I had no idea about. And I think he was trying to learn as well. He, uh, it was a family business. So there were a lot of, there were strong banking relationships and it was extremely easy for him to get a line of credit and just get money on that line of credit. So it was kind of a, an endless source, really. I mean, I, I say that it, it was and it wasn't, but the way that it wasn't was that his father made sure he never hit the bottom. So he never had that experience of having consequences. And so, you know, in the relationship, I was the one that had a business, had employees, was very responsible, responsible with money, responsible with everything. And he was the one that was kind of irresponsible. And not kind of, but so that was the way our relationship worked. Uh, We had a son. We have one son. That was, he was kind of like an absent father because he was addicted. You know, he just wasn't around very much. And one day I came home uh, from work and he was, they were in the living room and he was teaching our son how to bet with pennies, playing cards. and. I, I I didn't go nuts, but I, I just said, okay, you know, we're going to do this now and, and ended it. And he and I had a conversation about it and he felt like it was harmless and it was no big deal. But to me, it was a bigger deal because I was becoming more aware of, of the extent of the addiction. How old was your son at the time? He was about seven seven. Mm -hmm. And, and 
because all of our vacations, I would say 99% were at casinos, the way that looked was we would go, we'd be picked up by the limousine, we would get there, we'd go in the fancy room, we'd get checked in, we'd have a very nice room, and then he would be in the casino, and he would come out, we'd all have dinner together, uh, my son and I, we would go back to the room and watch a movie or do something, and he would be back in the casino. He would get in the room between probably 3 and 4 a.m., and then in the morning, he, with very little sleep, he would get up, and he would take um, our son either by himself or the three of us would go to the pool or the beach or, you know, like that, do something. And then after he had put in a couple of hours of that, he was gone again. And so that was sort of the cycle. And that's what, you know, our son saw is. Um, so I felt like in addition to kind of being a single mom in a way, you know, I was running a business and it was just, it was, it was tough. And, um, and I, once I dove into the therapy around the codependence, I began to start taking better care of myself and having some of my needs met. Because part of that codependence is taking care of everyone and everything except yourself. Yeah. And, and you were was, definitely the the one with all the responsibility, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It was that way, pretty much. And um, so the other thing that happened that was a turning point for me is our house was paid off twice. And, uh, and then when I signed the papers for it, the first time I said, you know, I will never do this again. I will sign this time, but I'll never do it again. And so um, a few years later, he came and he said, I needed you to go down to the attorney's office and sign some papers. And I said, well, what kind of papers? And he said, it's not a big deal. They'll have them ready for you. You just need to go sign. It'll only take five minutes. And I said, well, no, I'm not going to understand what I'm signing. And he said, look, it's not a big deal. Just go do it. I mean, he, he, he sort of escalated, you know. And so he finally told me it was to get a, another mortgage on the house. And I said, no. I won't do it. I told you I wouldn't do it and I won't do it. And he thought I wasn't, that he thought I was kidding that I really didn't mean it. There's that kidding word. (laughs) Um, But after about two weeks of trying to convince me to go, he realized I wasn't and he was really upset about it. So, um, and at that point, I was just about washed up in the relationship. And so I just said, you have to deal with this. And that's, that's a condition for me to stay married. And, and then that went on for about six months. And now what's that condition for us to stay in the relationship? Like you have to get help. You have to get help. And I understand it better now that he just did not think he could had a problem. He just thought he could stop. So anyway, we ultimately separated um, when our son was about nine. So it was sad. (laughs) We'd invested a lot in it, but 
That's and he gambled all the way to his death, I presume? He did. He he passed away um, two years ago, and uh, he had gambling debt when he died. So it just, it's sad, you know, I don't, uh, and there was conversation about the family doing an intervention, but um, one person would, was not willing, so that never happened. Did you find, uh, again, I'm too immersed sometimes to have fresh eyes, but do you think that part of why you didn't see it is because gambling feels so normal in our society? Like, because you do go to a casino to celebrate or like, did it feel normal to use for so long before you could had that epiphany? It felt different, but it did feel sort of normal. I mean, there's a big group of people, you know, there are friends that are, that are gamblers. So you kind of get in this community of people and friends and things like that. And, um, it did, you know, after I had been divorced, I was uh, at a, a place with some people and we walked through a casino and it had been probably about four years since I'd been in one. And I had this crazy experience. I just started crying. It felt like a place, it felt like I don't know, maybe grieving or something, because it was a place I had become so familiar with that hadn't been in my life for four years. It it was just a weird, bizarre thing, that uh, experience that I had. And it wasn't like I, I don't know, it wasn't like I missed it, I guess, but it was just, I was familiar with it. It was home in a way. I could see that when you first said that, my instinct was more like grieving the marriage, grieving the things, and then maybe like blaming the casino. Like, like you stole my life from me. Like that's what popped in my head. Now I could be completely wrong. They were your feelings, but that make like that kind of concept makes a lot of sense to me. Even if it wasn't you missing the casino, there was a lot of loss that you experienced. Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Uh, it did take a, a big part of my life away. Yeah. Um, oh, how does your son do with gambling now? Like, is he an adult now? And like, does he have any really, if I'm off limits, you just tell me I'm off limits. He saw his dad for who he was. It, I, unfortunately, it had him grow up so much faster. And when we divorced and Joe wasn't all that interested in spending a whole lot of time with him, which broke my heart. And it was hard on him, hard on our son. And so he, he had built up a lot of resentment and they, there were challenges in their relationship. And he was just an absent father. And he considered when our son was growing up, if I, if I would say, you know, I'd really like to go out with some girlfriends, let's just say a Saturday, um, could you be with Elias? And he said, he would say, you know, I'm not a babysitter. And I would say, that's right, you're not, you're a father. 
So th- th- that was the push and the pull in the relationship. So when our son was in his, uh, I guess it was around high school, he was able to really express himself to his dad and, and all the hurt came out. And so they, their relationship had a shift at that point. And it was a shift really where our son seemed to become more the parent and his dad, more the child. It was. And so when his dad was, um, he had a, a terminal disease and uh, our son was there with him every day, every morning to be with him. And um, so they, they were able to build, build on something. Um, and, but he, he, our son did begin to understand who his dad was. Another so, testament to you, like you as the mom, you know, protecting, taking care of your son, you know, getting yourself in a position and strong enough to be able to help guide him through that. I'm sure that most of that came from, from your efforts for sure. So, wow, I'm just so impressed with your strength. Oh, you know, it's something that you don't know you have the strength for until you're in it. And, you know, with a child, it's just mother's instincts to want to protect them. And I also realized through my own therapy that if he could see me strong, then he would be strong. And when his dad would call me and, you know, he he wasn't always very kind to me, you know, and was very upset that I ended the marriage. You know, our son would hear me say, you know, I'm not going to stay on the phone if you continue to talk to me like that. If you want to treat me with respect and talk to me normally with with respect, I'll stay on the phone. But otherwise, I'm hanging up. And sometimes he would see me hang up. And and then eventually, you know, he my, my ex-husband did get a little more respectful. But um, so... You know, you just, the therapist told me one thing that was extremely valuable to me. She said that when your son experiences these hurts, when, you know, his dad says he's going to come pick him up, but he calls and something came up or he's late or which would happen all the time. She said, don't tell him that your dad, that his dad loves you very much and that he doesn't mean to. Because she said, you don't want him growing up thinking that that's what love feels like, that it feels like hurt and it feels like broken promises. So, you know, I I never did that when she after she told me that, you know, I was more authentic and realistic about his dad and what he was capable of. And so that was really helpful to me in, in raising my son. I think that's probably helpful to a lot of people because that was that was just a huge nugget for me to receive. Kind of explains my whole dating life, right? Because if you do perceive abandonment as love or mm-hmm. nonchalance or um, not being a priority, if you do associate that with the feeling of love, 
it totally can snowball into less than not worth it, but not even knowing it that you don't feel that way. Yeah. And I think sort of on a spiritual level, we sort of attract people we need lessons from. And so, um, you know, we do tend to attract what we put out. And so being healthy and getting the help and the therapy or whatever kind of help you need, you know, Gammonon, Gamblers Anonymous is, is so valuable because it helps us find a purpose and it helps us attract into our lives what we want that supports our, our purpose and our happiness. Exactly. So what would you say, Miss Elaine, to... Well, I guess to both audiences, I would ask this. The ones who have a hunch that something's wrong and those that clearly know, like they know the impact, they're seeing it in in the gambler's behavior, um, finances, whatever the things are. So what do you say to the ones with a hunch and what do you say to the ones who blatantly know that they're married or they have a partner with a gambling problem? I would say one, get a book on codependence <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, some go online and do some research. Uh, I would also say get yourself, even if your significant other or spouse can't or are not at a point where they can get help, get help for yourself and then really try to find a way to to get your spouse help as well. Um, but you have to be healthy yourself, and that's really important. I think if I had understood how to set boundaries earlier in the relationship, I don't know if it would have had a different outcome or not. Or nope. Yeah. Nope. So <laughs> it, it's. Because when we're doing it, it has nothing to do with our partners. You know what I mean? Like it really, it really doesn't. It's not that we're trying to be evil and punish. Like I divorced my husband, so I would stop hurting him and stealing from him. And I was taking household money. I was not being a good wife. He deserved a good wife. He didn't deserve a gambling addict, you know, so it needed to happen. But I, as you were talking about the vacations on our honeymoon, you know, cause I always got us to a casino too, or, or at a gambling event. And on our honeymoon, we were at the, in the Bahamas and the Atlantis was there. And oh, we, yeah. had, no, well. <laughs> we were gambling on the boat, you know, just always gambling, gambling, gambling. Well, he had had enough. It was our honeymoon and I wanted to go in the Atlantis and he was having no part of it. And then we used to drive truck together and um, he'd wake up and I'd be in the casino and I should have been driving. And eventually he threw me out of the truck politely. This was before we were married. And I go home to stay with my mom and go back to work in Connecticut. And two days later, I'm back at the casino because I have a free hotel room, right? Like what you're talking about. Yeah. And I win a car and I call him up. And I'm all excited because I don't have a car and it's a big deal. And he's like, where are you? So we ruined that experience. But even if he had boundaries, like I'm not going to marry you if you keep gambling, it wouldn't have stopped my gambling. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work that way. 
and I'm just kind of sharing some of the bigger moments, um, you know, and, and I was very lucky. I mean, he loved and supported me like crazy, but he would stand behind me at the slot machines and are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? No, just one more bonus round, you know, like the begging and the manipulation and, you know, just not being the person I was capable of being because I was, I was, my first love was gambling. It just, nobody was ever going to break that barrier. Was it something that your husband did uh, that helped you say, uh, I'm going to get help or was it totally unrelated to I never got help until after, after you divorced. Yeah. We, um, I had gotten a job in Kansas city and we were separated at the time and we had to hurry up the divorce because I was leaving town, but I had seen him. And this is actually a silly little story. So I'm going to share it with you, but I, we were still friends and we're still friends. His, his new wife doesn't like the idea of that. So we don't get to chat as much, but he's one of the people. Well, first, let me tell you the cute little divorce story. So I visit him and his dad for Christmas after we split up, he's out of the house and I give him a gift. I don't even remember what it was. And he's like, well, where's my divorce? I wanted a divorce for Christmas. Um, So I filed on Valentine's day and it was his Valentine's day present. Oh yeah. Oh, he is one of the only people consistently to this day. And ever since 2013, when I quit the first time, that when we do speak, he says, are you still not gambling? He still checks in. He cares that much that he asks those questions to make sure that I'm okay. Wow. That's great. A good guy. He was a good guy. Yeah. He did not deserve me. <laughs> not oh. at all, but not in the way that most people say, you know, uh, he didn't deserve me as the gambling Bobby, I guess is mm-hmm. a better way to say it. Yeah. So that's, that's why I'm pretty passionate. It's not about the non-gamblers behaviors. It's just not, it's not, it's not their fault. You, that's why I'm so excited about the message that you had. What I heard the most and what I hope my audience hears the most is you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your children. You have to, it's going to be work, but you have to, you have to find your way to heal and recover. That's what I, that's what I'm walking away with tonight with what you said. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, It was uh, life giving to me to be able to get, uh, get help. I remember the therapist asking me a question. And for the longest time, I didn't even get it. You know, a codependent really is so focused on taking care of everybody else that they, they, we do leave ourselves out. And she asked me a question. And she said, Well, Elaine, what do you want? I couldn't even understand the question. And I mean, that's how engrossed I was. And she had to work with me for a long time for me to just understand. It's kind of like, wait a minute. Well, what I have is what I want, you know? No, she says, no, what do you want? I couldn't separate myself from it until I could. Sounds like you had a great therapist. She sounds amazing. She was awesome. Uh, Is there anything else, Elaine, that you want to touch on that I haven't thought to ask or that you think is important for the audience to know? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to tell this story. I think it's healing for me to tell it. And uh, you've made it very easy for me to talk about it. And I just would encourage people to, to 
help themselves and to to um, you know help their loved one that maybe has the addiction help. Great advice. As Great advice. much as they can to get them in Gamblers Anonymous. So, but I thank you for the opportunity, and I hope that there have been some pearls in this. I've certainly learned from you. And I learned from you, like I said, tackling the accountants and what you just said, how you just opened my eyes to our impression of love based on behavior. That's like just monumental to me right now. Great. Well, thanks. It was very monumental to me too. So, and I hope I have a help, very healthy mentally son. I'm very proud of him. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. And I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks on our next adventure. Great. Thank you so much. Try to remember.